Welcome to another episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. Excited to have Dr. Christopher Winter on. He is sleep specialist, neurologist, and author of two books, The Rest of the Child and The Sleep Solution. So Christopher, welcome to the Rest and Recovery Podcast. Hey, I ple- appreciate it, Scott. It's great to be here. Yeah, uh, as we were just chatting offline, you know, uh, your, your recent book, The Rest of the Child, is one that I've been reading and, uh, you know, wish I had about a decade or so ago. But uh, it's great that it is out there and, and really maybe touch on, you know, why write a book on children and sleep? Yeah, it's a good question, Scott. And um, I guess I appreciate being here. I, I like the name of your podcast too. The idea of uh, uh, rest and recovery, I think is really important. Um, both of those things, both in terms of just the average individual or the athletes we work with or kids that we work with, I mean, all those things I think are important. So, okay. yeah, I, I see adults and kids in my clinical practice and I have since I've started, um, and I enjoy that. It's, it's it's interesting to see sleep problems along that spectrum of age and what it looks like when you're young and how it manifests when you get older. Yeah. And and I felt like the two reasons why I wanted to write the book were number one, we were seeing a lot of kids in our clinic. Like that number just kept going up and up. Um, I think that when you develop a relationship for taking kids sleep problems seriously um it doesn't take much more than that to get a lot of people coming through your door sure and i felt like beyond that there was just a change over the last five years in terms of sleep in children that i thought needed to be addressed so that was the first thing was just the rise in level and when you sit down and talk to you know a parent about their kid's broken leg or their you know whatever their 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 acne there seemed to be sort of a baseline understanding sometime of kind of what was going on, you know, right. and I felt like sometimes with sleep problems, parents were completely in the dark as sometimes were their, their doctors. And so that was really the second reason I wrote the book is that there's not a great resource out there for parents to read about sleep disorders in kids, which is funny because when I pitched the book, my publisher and my agent both said, Oh, why don't you write a book about, the work you do with athletes or something. I'm like, why are you so negative about my book on kids and sleep? They're like, well, there's just so many of them. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, you know, like baby wise. And I said, no, 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 wait a minute. We're getting something confused here. You're talking about books about how to get your baby to sleep through the night and get them on a feeding schedule and whatnot, which are perfectly wonderful books. I've read a few of them myself in my day, but that's not really a book about sleep disorders in kids that's really a, a very, you know, if, if that's the umbrella, sleep in children from the time they're born till the time they off to college, there is a subset of, okay, well, how do we get a baby to sleep through the night? And the secret is just, you don't have to do anything. A baby's always going to sleep, you know? So I love the idea that, you know, what kind of sleep training have you done? I'm like, I don't know what kind of feeding training have you done? Like, you know, the, <laughs> Kids can eat and sleep and cry and ask for money really easily. We don't have to train. We don't have to train that too big, you know. So I just felt like there was just a desert when it came to a parent who really wanted to inform herself or himself about how is sleep supposed to look in a kid and what should I be looking out for in terms of a problem and maybe what has my child been diagnosed with that could actually be either exacerbated by or caused by a sleep disorder. Yeah. So that was the, and I wanted it to be accessible and not, 
you know, bow tie, white coat sort of author kind of situation. So, right. so the, the book was born. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I really appreciate that because it, what I've read to this point, it's very practical. It both, like you said, that last comment on, you want the science to make sure you're getting a quality resource of person who's, who's sharing it, but then also that practical application, right? Without it, um, some of the ways to kind of really actually fix the problem, not diagnose it, uh, it is important. And it's funny because whenever I do a lecture, you know, people are always like, well, how long you do you want and what will it be? What will be in it? You know, what are we paying for here? And I always say, you know, well, there should be a little bit of science. Let's all talk about, let's understand what REM sleep is and how we divide sleep up and what sleep does in the brain. It's kind of fun to learn about, but right. what really should be the majority of any kind of book or lecture should be, okay, well, how do I figure out what's going on with me or my child? You know, what's a proper assessment? And we talk about Keith is a great sleeper and Sarah is a bad sleeper. Why? Like, wh what are we using to make that value judgment? Right. But that's a majority of any book or lecture or any kind of interaction like that with an individual should be practical. It should be, well, great. What can we do about it? And that's a bad rap that we neurologists get. You know, we love to sit and talk about, okay, well, he has trouble with sensation and these two fingers and the inner half of that. Well, that has to be this specific nerve and da, da, da. Yeah. And then the parents kind of look at the patients kind of looking at you while you do this wonderful, like conversation with the other neurologist. And he's like, Hey, how do I make this go away? Oh, you can't, but it's fascinating that you've got, you know, like that's sort yeah. of the, I don't know if this is a family podcast, you can edit this out, but that's why neurologists are often called mental like we talk about problems incessantly, yeah. but not we can't really fix them. But that's the great thing about sleep. And the reason I sort of wanted to be in that field is because we can fix sleep problems, which is awesome to you know spend a day talking to kids and adults and actually help actually move the needle towards being better, more, more recovered and more rested. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So you, you touched on um, something I would like for you to expound on is kind of the vocabulary aspect of it, you know, when you're like, oh, Johnny is a good sleeper, Susie's not, you know, kind of, I mean, you have to describe the issue, but without yeah. uh, maybe labeling it too much, but you kind of touch on that in the book. Um, can, you, can you expound on that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sort of fascinated by, I mean, as a sleep specialist, I'm fascinated by sleep identity, and in my first book, there was a lot of really interesting research done by others that looked at the way we view ourselves as a sleeper. We are a good sleeper or we are a bad sleeper. And then with the technology that we have and the studies that we can do, we can actually study somebody's sleep and say, you know, good, you know, quality sleep, not very quality sleep. So you create this sort of grid of individuals who are good sleepers, who know they are, who are bad sleepers, who know they are, who are good sleepers, but think they're bad and bad sleepers that think they're good. Right. And that identity in, in the research was almost a more powerful predictor of functioning the following day than the way you actually slept. Right. And we get hints of that sometimes. I mean, when I was a doctor in the hospital and you'd sit down at a you know, cafeteria and quickly eat your lunch. And maybe a buddy of yours who was a surgeon would sit down and she would say, I got two hours of sleep last night on call and I've got 17 surgeries lined up today. And as you're sitting there eating your sandwich, you're thinking, 
I don't know, Susan. Do you think you should be operating on people having only gotten two hours of sleep? Oh, yeah, I'm good. You know, as long as I get at least 30 minutes of sleep on call, I'm good to go for the next day. Yeah. And I guess in the moment, you're kind of like, okay. As you get older, you realize, no, you're not. I mean, yeah. you might be able to do it. You may go through your entire day and not have a problem. But it was like some wood shopping video that my kids showed me of this very dangerous looking wood chopper this guy had built himself. And it worked. But it did look like it was only a matter of time before, like, he didn't time it properly and cut his hand off with one slice of this massive device he had created. So I think sleep deprivation is kind of like that. Like, it's it's coming for you, whether it happens today or next week or next month. So, you know, and I think that as parents, we talk a lot about these identities. And so what I wanted to do in the book was really give parents more objective ways to figure out is your kid really a bad sleeper or is he somebody who just doesn't require as much sleep as other kids his age which let's face it as parents all we want is our kids to like sleep 23 out of 24 hours like they can wake up and we can talk a little bit you know how was your day at school that's great okay now go to bed because daddy's got a lot to get done today you know so you know so sometimes the kids who sleep a lot which can be a sign of pathological sleep are labeled good sleepers. In fact, I had a woman who said, my son, he's like 15 years old, naps two or three times a day. Oh, he always wants to sleep. He puts himself to bed and never has ever, it has ever since he was a kid. And the whole time I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if this is good. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, why, why would you think this is good sleep? It's, it's a lot of sleep and those things aren't necessarily the same. You know, also like how fast you fall asleep. I always joke, we don't judge a good eater by how quickly he eats his dinner. It's about <laughs> the you know, the composition of the meal and how does his body look and perform. Right. It's not, well, my son's a good eater because he can eat his entire dinner in 38 seconds, but this kid over here is not a good eater because it takes him, what, 20, 30 minutes to eat. Like, no, that's not a great metric. Right. So maybe on that point, so should there be, it's about expectation setting, I guess, more on the parent side than the kid side, because yeah. we're the ones fostering the environment at the end of the day. That's right. Before that. So, so how does a parent foster that environment when it comes to those types of things? Like what's kind of the better approach than just, um, you know, getting stress around it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it probably starts with at the beginning, like with the baby sleep book, like it probably starts with a parent really recognizing that I want my child to sleep their best um, and be healthy as a relation, as it relates to their food, as their, to their sleep, to their exercise. Okay. Rather than, I think we all start off as parents with, I got to get this kid sleeping through the night and taking three regular naps every day, or I've somehow failed. So I I feel like that's an okay goal to have, Um, but I do think we think about it and get stressed about it a lot, and I think that that probably sets an early tone for what are we looking for in our children when it comes to sleep. Right. Um, And so I think that that might be something that we need to kind of redefine. Um, It is interesting when you look just in general about the media portrayal of sleep. If you picked, if you went to the store today and got 20 magazines, I bet 18 of them have something related to sleep on the cover, how to get the best sleep of your life and what it means when he doesn't touch you in the bed, you know, whatever. There's always, yeah, a magazine editor one time told me you have to have 
an article in every issue about sleep because that's what really gets the clicks, you know, like they people want to look at that stuff. But what we don't really talk about in any of those headlines are um, you're falling asleep a lot and quickly. Could this be a problem? Like we always focus on the can't sleep, can't stay asleep, wake up, can't get back to bed. We don't focus on, you know, grandpa who every time he sits down in church immediately falls asleep and snores during the procession, you know, like, so I, I think that we also have to not only redefine what our goals are for children, but what it means to be healthy in terms of sleep. And I think that right now healthy is fall asleep fast, never wake up. Right. And I don't think that's a great way to measure that. And then that creates all kinds of problems when you don't have a lot of education about sleep, not only just the patient or the parent, but also the doctor that you're taking your kid to. So now all of a sudden it's sort of the blind leading the blind. My kid can't sleep. It takes him forever to fall asleep. And when he wakes up, he can't get back to sleep. Oh my God, that sounds terrible here. Take these pills so we can prevent that from ever happening. So there is a very bad and unhealthy interplay there um, that, 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 that hopefully this book will start to kind of at least question or break that cycle a little bit from my kid can't sleep to, Hey doc, I've read some stuff about sleep and, well, I know all children sleep. My kid has trouble initiating it in a way that's satisfactory to him, although I have no doubt that he's getting you know, some sleep. So it just kind of turns the temperature down on the whole situation. Otherwise, we just get Michael Jackson kind of interactions. I can't sleep. Drug me. Those drugs don't work. Bigger drugs. How about a surgeon comes to your house to anesthetize you every night? Sounds good to me. Oh, God, we've killed the king of pop. Like, that's an absurd situation, but it's hap- those things happen just because we don't really know how to step outside of that loop of taking your cue from the panic of the patient because you have no real factual basis. I mean, I think something like a quarter of all doctors have never had any training on sleep, even though it's one of the most common things they see. Yeah. And it, what we do one third of it in our life. So, I mean, it seems. Yeah. Like I mean, I mean, I got a whole lecture on gallstones. You know, I mean, gallstones I've treated in my career. So there's a lot of untreated, unearthed sleep problems that kind of exist out there. And again, hopefully this kind of these kinds of podcasts sort of bring that dialogue to the surface. Yeah. And I I would agree with that sentiment of the it's not talked about in this because that's kind of how this was birthed, frankly, on my side is my own personal challenges, trying to find stuff. But then having conversations with friends and bringing it up like it was like eight out of 10 of them were like, oh, yeah, me too. And and you're like, why are we just thinking this? Wow. Okay, like, and I've yeah, had conversations no. since. We're like, oh, I'm fine on six. Meanwhile, individuals have like high blood pressure. They're arthritic, which can relate to inflammation, right, and all those other things. And, and not to go down that rabbit hole completely, but it's just like we have this cultural thing that mediocre sleep is okay, and we can break those boundaries at any point. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a really good point, especially as kids go to adults. And these are the kinds of messages we can plant in their little brains as kids. And, and that's really the balancing act of a parent is I need my kid to leave this house one day valuing sleep and seeing its importance. But I don't want them on this side of the spectrum where they're stressed out about it. Right. Like if they get in bed and it takes them 30 minutes to fall asleep and they're still awake. 
I need them to think of that as being sort of par for the course. That's a normal situation. It's like not finishing a sandwich at lunch, big deal. Right. So that's a difficult place to be where you're like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. As long as you get three hours, you're fine versus your, your kid's terrified about it. It needs to be like teeth brushing is important. But if you forgot Tuesday to brush your teeth for some reason, it's not the end of the world as long as that's the exception, you know. Yeah. And you're right. We we so because We're there's trending. no great sources of information either from our doctor or they're kind of being pushed out in the media, we do get our information from one another. Well, Carl down the street says he's fine getting six hours, so I guess I am too. And when a doctor's not asking about sleep, and this is one of the always things I talk to pediatricians and primary care doctors, you got to ask. Right. You're waiting for the parent or the patient to bring it up. It's probably not going to happen. Plus, I think we as doctors just give off tones that we're super busy. And, and, and I guess we are. I mean, everybody's busy, but right. you know, pediatricians got to see what 40 kids a day just to keep the lights on in the office. So they're not going to be real excited to say, hey, mom, how are your kids sleeping? Because that's going to be another 20 minutes added on to the visit that's already happened. And they got to do the yeah. school physicals and everything else. So you kind of have to be a little pushy about it or just go see a sleep specialist who can sit down and just focus on that problem, you know, and that's what we always tell pediatricians. You don't have to be a sleep expert because God knows you don't want me delivering a baby. Right. I don't know how to do that. Like it's not my forte. So I'll let you right. handle that and the hand, foot, mouth disease and the <clears throat> pediatric asthma. I don't want anything to do with that. But if you're, you know, struggling in terms of time, don't be dismissive. Just say, Hey, look, I don't want to be dismissive of your concerns, but I don't have the time or the expertise to deal with them. I'll send you to Susan down the street, who's a fantastic sleep doctor. Yeah. And, 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 and that way everybody gets what they want. So that, that makes me think of kind of that front end process, that assessment, whether you're a pediatrician or a mom or dad trying to assess your child. So what, what does that look like to really discern kind of what we're saying, these absolutes, like we're saying yeah. and adding stress. Is it just a, a couple nights here and there, or is there a consistent trend that Johnny or Susie are having major issues? Absolutely. And I think it's the latter. You know, I, I think that one of my sayings that I don't know if it's a good one. Um, I like it, but I don't know if people get it is sleep's the most important thing in the world outside of bacon and sex. However, tonight sleep's irrelevant. And what I mean by that is if you're somebody who's really a good sleeper, you're really committed to getting eight hours every night. And for some reason, your flight's delayed or you decide to stay up a little extra and watch a couple episodes of Succession or whatever you're into right now, and you don't get the right amount of sleep. If that's truly an exceptional night and the other 29 nights this month have been awesome, I don't think it's that something that really, really we need to worry about. It's like somebody who's really pays attention to their nutrition, but you know, somebody brings cupcakes for somebody's, you know, birthday at the, at the office, we'll have a cupcake. It's yeah. fine. Kind of 80, as long as your diet doesn't consist of cupcakes exclusively, you're going to be fine. So, you know, I think that that's something we kind of want to teach our kids for, you know, your kid comes down and says, mom, I'm really, I'm really struggling to stay, to fall asleep tonight. You know, we recognize that, Hey, I'm sorry to hear that that's happening, but you know, that's going to happen from time to time. And what I like to do when that happens is I like just to turn on my light and, and read my book. And I know you've got some new comic books your grandparents sent you. Why don't you go up there and just read those until you're ready? And if not, I'll just come get you when it's time to go to school. I told yeah. my kid that one time, implying that he might just read 
comic books from 11 p.m. until 6 a.m. So we want to recognize that it's unfortunate they're having the struggle, but we're not panicked. And we're not really judging that as being something outside of the norm. Now, if your kid says six out of seven days, they're awake for three or four hours at night before they go to bed. I mean, I think that deserves some more attention, understanding that one of the biggest issues we face when it comes to sleep, both as our, from ourselves and our, our kids, is that our recollection and our ability to accurately report sleep is not great. Yeah. So and it's not about a kid lying. It's really about a kid having a perception that they were up all night. Right. You know, it took me until six o'clock in the morning, mom, to fall asleep. And you're thinking, that's weird, because I looked in on you at midnight and you were asleep and your light was out. But so to me, that's an that's a problem in and of itself, even if it isn't what the kid thinks it is. So a lot of times we as parents are a little bit handicapped in our ability to deal with the situation as as a doctor, because there's so much is built upon the reporting of the patient. Right. Oh, and, and that's where technology, the aura ring or the watch can really make a great difference with, with an individual because even you don't think you, yeah, you didn't think you slept, but your device said, oh, it says you slept seven hours and seven minutes last night. Yeah. Yeah. Or even five hours and 43 minutes, which isn't great, but we're not dealing with somebody who can't sleep. And now the child thinks, oh, well, that's really weird because I could have sworn I was just awake until six. You know, so now we start to alter the problem from I can't sleep to I'm not satisfied with my sleep, or maybe I'm not getting quite the amount that I would like to get, which is a big change in terms of dealing with somebody's sleep issues. Yeah. And and ultimately what we were talking about is that stress piece um, too. Absolutely. You have this cognitive stress and, you know, you can go down a whole nother rabbit hole with that and how that affects your body, but ultimately it's preventing the quality of sleep that everyone's hundred percent. And, and, and that's why, you know, the people who come to see me, my clinic are really interesting, motivated, successful people. They've got that type a detail oriented knowledge based. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to figure out the answer. I'll solve it myself. I changed my own oil in my car kind of people. Insomnia and sleep problems often live in those people because everything becomes a problem they need to solve immediately. Meaning I always say, I don't see a lot of people who sell homemade hockey sacks at fish concerts at my office. They're like, sometimes it takes me 12 hours to fall asleep. I don't care. I just, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. Like that attitude is a wonderful attitude to have when you go to bed at night, maybe not so great if you're a college student or trying to be successful in this world. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. So, so when it comes to the identification piece, like what would be the parents next best action? You know, your kid keeps waking up. I'll give personal anecdote. One of my daughters kind of along the line, she feels like she's waking up all the time yeah, and not not getting good sleep, waking up tired. Uh, But then on the other end during the day, like she's kind of high energy. Yeah. And that's where you have to be careful, particularly with kids. Um, there is a great doctor up in Indianapolis, uh, Dr. Singh, who's a, a sleep specialist. Um, he goes by the sleep vigilante on Twitter, which <laughs> I, my, my nickname that Ariana Huffington gave me was the sleep whisperer. I'm like, God damn it. I want the sleep vigilante. That's I, I want, you know, overlord of the known sleep universe, the sleep yeah. whisperer, man. Nobody calls me that. It sounds, 
sounds a little strange, but anyway, so he's the sleep vigilante. Um, and he always says, you know, kids are like new cars. You can totally abuse them and they drive just fine because they're new. And, and that's where you have to be careful because number one, kids hide sleep problems better than squirrels hide nuts. You know what I mean? They're just so good at it. And number two, a lot of times one of their methods for sort of obscuring or covering up the sleep problem is busyness. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like their brain kind of figures out, oh, wait, if we sit quietly and read Catcher in the Rye, we're going to fall asleep. But if we're running around, president of everything, playing field hockey, I'll actually read my Catcher in the Rye as I'm practicing my field hockey out back. Like right. as a parent, you're like, God damn, that, that kid's killing it. Like they're on fire. They'll be president of the United States one day because there's just so in, interactive active and engaged. And a lot of times that's the brain trying to figure out a way to kind of maintain its functioning because it can't sit still. And, and uh, one of the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Eating's another one. So weight issues in kids can be a little sign that Hmm. A kid's eating to stay awake, not eating to, 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 for, to, because he's hungry. And it's really interesting to see on the other side of a diagnosis when a parent does bring the child in. And I will say about your daughter, I think it's always a red flag if a kid says, I struggle to stay asleep, especially if they say, oh, I fall asleep just fine. Mm -hmm. I just can't stay asleep. Because I think that always begs the question, why? Yeah. You know, what, what is waking them up? So I, I think that that's always something that probably needs to be looked into a little bit. But, you know, it's interesting when you look at kids come out the other side. I've had parents tell me I, one time I diagnosed a, a, a younger woman with narcolepsy, college student. And the mother came with me to the follow up visit, came with her to the follow up visit. And she said, when my daughter came home and said I had narcolepsy, I looked it up. I was like, this is insane. She is the least sleepy person I know. And then she said, and then it kind of dawned on me that she's incredibly sleepy when she lets herself sit still, like opening presents on Christmas as we rotated all the family members, daughter opens a present, brother, other brother, dad, mom, back to daughter, she'd be asleep. Oh, wow. On Christmas. Like, I mean, what kid falls asleep on Christmas? Because it's like, oh, hurry up. And it's just a sweater. Good God. Who cares about it? Go on, dad. Open yours next. Because I want to see what this big present is. Like, and right. she was she's falling asleep during all that stuff. And, and the mother even said she's incredibly sleepy or she's incredibly awake. My daughter has nothing in the middle, which I thought was such an interesting comment that she made. Yeah. Like I'm going 90 miles an hour or I'm parked in the garage. There is no cruising down a, a city street at 25. Like that doesn't exist with my daughter. Right. And so I think kids can do that. But what you often see is when these disorders get missed as they move into high school, college and beyond, there's often a breaking point or a collapse. And it's usually extremely dramatic. I occasionally have had parents over the years say, we hear what your diagnosis is for our son or daughter, but we're not going to treat it right now. I'm like, that's fine. You know, that's your choice to make. I said, but I do want you to pay attention as he goes off to college X, because if he suddenly starts to fail out of school, because he's making straight A's now, but if suddenly you're contemplating, you know, he's had a bad exam and a couple of bad grades, we need to talk because when they start to collapse, it is fast. Yeah. 
I mean, from Dean's List to taking some time off of college can happen in a matter of months. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, it makes sense because you've got that built up, I'll call it sleep debt, yeah, um, yeah. over a decade and a half uh, or whatever it is, um, just built up and it just mentally. I mean, I feel it. I'm, I'm 48 years old. The, the situations that we were in when I was in residency as a neurologist in the hospital, probably, I think pediatricians and neurologists are probably the two busiest people in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and, and I was practicing, I was doing that back in the time when they allowed you to be on call every other night. That's been outlawed just because of the danger of it. Well, that's good. We, we did it. Yeah. And, but looking back at, you know, if somebody said, Chris, we screwed up. You still have one more year of residency you have to do. Like, so we need you to drop everything and go back into the hospital and be on call every other night. I, I don't, I don't know that I have the capacity to do that. Like I did when I was in my twenties, um, anymore. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I can, I mean, I am still, I think most people would say, oh God, Chris is a very energetic person, but that, 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 that ability to kind of absorb that kind of punishment, I think leaves us. And hopefully it's leaving us as we're moving out of the bad shift work you're as a nurse to being on just days or being a supervisor, like hopefully your life leads you out of those terrible situations, but it doesn't for everyone. Yeah. And even for the people who it does, they may be driving an Uber at night to pay their mortgage or something like that. So you know, these are just very tough things for people to deal with. And we know they're extremely unhealthy. Yeah. And I think too, the, the benefit of at least my observation in the last couple of years is that there are some better in-between managements. Like we've been talking a lot of the either ors on all yep. of this that if you do have those lifestyles, you do shift work, your first responders, there's methods. Now there's apps that can help kind of mitigate the negative yes. aspects of that stuff. And that's kind of where we are. I mean, I, I like that way of thinking. Um, I am definitely not an absolutist. I, I, you know, so to me, everything is on some sort of spectrum. And I think we do get into trouble where we're like, this is my situation as a, an attending trauma surgeon, a buddy of mine who I went to medical school, she's a trauma surgeon. She read my first book and said, I feel like I must be killing myself. Like, what can I do? Retire? And I'm like, well, no, I mean, not that that wouldn't help, but I think there are some steps we can do. You know, it's to me, it's like somebody who's smoking three packs a day. Yes, I would love for you to quit. But that might not be possible for you right now. I'll, right, I'll right. definitely take a pack a day over three packs a day for right now until we can figure out what the next move is. I mean, it's sort of like I always think doctors make a mistake telling a patient, hey, look, you need to weigh, you know, 100 pounds less than you do right now. That might very well be the case. But to me, that's defeated before I even start because I can't right. lose 100 pounds, but I can maybe lose five pounds by Christmas. Well, great. Let's start with five, figure out what works. How did that work out? Good job losing five pounds. I'm really proud of you. Let's see if we can't lose another five by Easter, you know, kind of thing. And so to me, moving the needle in a healthy direction, especially from a population perspective, we could everybody out there sleeping 15 more minutes, it would be dramatically life-changing for all of us in terms of you know, healthcare costs and work mistakes and productivity. It's kind of like the teams that I work with. I'm always telling the athletes, can we find 15 more minutes of rest or sleep during the day? Can I convince you that every day you go find a quiet place and meditate for 15 minutes? And if you fall asleep, great. Yeah. 
that compounded over a 365 day year or a 30 year career can really be the difference between massive performance changes, early retirement, health consequences, just that 15 minutes, you know? So yeah, even though it didn't help the Red Sox or the Dodgers. So anyway, uh, um, anybody, but the, anybody, but the Astros, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but you, you mentioned a, a good point on, on the rest word because, so this is the rest of recovery, but your book is called the rested child, not yeah. the sleeping child. And so may, maybe delineate the two and, and that there's value in the rest part. Absolutely. Um, so it's interesting you picked up on that. So yeah, I had a lot of, lot of titles for this book and kind of kept coming back to the rested child, or at one point it was a rested development, although people said that that would be confusing if you just heard yeah. it. Um, but I always I kind of envisioned the rest being in red and the, you know, the rewards being in yellow. But but to me, it really was a statement about the fact that we we really put too much emphasis, and this is from a sleep specialist who's been doing this for 30 years, maybe a little bit too much emphasis on sleep or unconsciousness, meaning that, you know, how many people tell you, I get in bed and I can't fall asleep and it frustrates me, so I get up and do, do something, or there's that piece of wisdom that I really don't like, which is, if you get in bed and you're still awake 15 minutes later, get up and go do something else until you get sleepy, which which is fine, but it, what if somebody says, but I'm so comfortable in bed and I'm relaxed and I'm kind of meditating and saying some prayers about people that are important to me, or I'm planning out a vacation for my father who I've never really you know, taken on a trip before. And so it's fun to do the logistics in my mind or yeah. think about a celebrity crush. So saying, you know, be in bed for 15 minutes, if you can't fall asleep, get out, sort of implies that being in bed and resting is worthless. So we give that sort of message to people, we give it to kids all the time. And I think being in bed with your eyes closed, meditating, or even reading a real book with a little quiet you know, reading light is really positive. And there's research that says it's actually restorative to people. And if you're really good at meditating and kind of finding that deeper state of consciousness, even if you are technically awake, it's wildly helpful for people. So I really wanted to kind of impress upon that. So when you have nap time for your three children, maybe instead of calling it nap time, you call it rest time. Hey guys, it's rest time. Mommy needs a little break from you guys. And I want y'all to go to your rooms. You've got your Junie B. Jones books. You've got your matchbox cards. You've got your art materials. And, or you can stretch out in bed and close your eyes if you do. Mommy doesn't care and daddy don't, doesn't care either. We just want to have time for us to rest and have some quiet time. Right. And then in 30 minutes or an hour, we're going to come back together. And we're going to do some finger painting. It's going to be great. Like whatever you want to do. Like, but that message that you're going to go to your room and have some time by yourself in a peaceful, secure, hopefully, you know, optimistic environment. The, the option of sleeping is not a necessity. Yeah. You know, if yeah. you feel like you want to, or you thought you weren't sleeping, but as you read your book, you nodded off. Great. I'll wake you up in an hour. But don't feel compelled to have to do it to satisfy something. Your body's going to be very happy just to have that rest period. I mean, I remember in kindergarten, we had to bring little mats. Yeah. And we had yeah. nap time. And I remember yeah. thinking I never fell asleep, I don't think. And, and we weren't allowed to really move. Like they were like sleep or you're not going to have recess or something like that. I mean, I kind of remember being under a tremendous pressure to sleep. And so you'd sit there and you kind of look around at your friends. And, you know, if you were lucky, you and Frank would look at each other, you know, you range your mats, you kind of look at each other like, how much more time do we have until we can go out there and play, you know, Chris, what are you doing? Nothing. You pretend like you're asleep. Like, 
what a terrible way to start off your relationship with napping and sleeping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like all these know. negative connotations to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really bad. So rest is good. So um when it comes to some of the culprits, like other than the words we use, which clearly carry a significant amount of weight, are there other things to be cognizant of, at least from a parenting standpoint, to to be yeah, to be cognizant of? Yeah. I think the other big thing to be cognizant of is the massive variability, which is genetic in its basis. So you look to you and your partner in terms of sleep need in kids. And, and I put the, some charts in the book, but you can look them up without buying the book. If you go to the National Sleep Foundation and go into like a Google image search, National Sleep Foundation sleep need chart. It'll give you a chart that starts with birth all the way up to senior citizen discount at the Wood Grill Buffet about how much sleep that average age group needs. And then on the top and bottom is sort of the tail of that bell curve. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very unusual, but there are people even in these categories too. And pay attention to the first two categories, like newborn and toddler. Look at the maximum that you could see and the minimum. It's a difference of eight hours. And I think that's tough. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when you're leaving, hey, you know, get your kid on a schedule, buy your baby sleep book, but just keep in mind that it could be off by eight hours. Well, eight hours is my night of sleep. Yeah, that's not so, a margin of error. That's that's like, a like, massive margin. That's right. <laughs> right. You know. Um, so anyway, so I, I think that that's a really important thing for parents to understand. So, you know, Godspeed to Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds if they ever write a parenting book, because I'm sure it would sell a million copies, and they may have great success getting their children to sleep. Just realize that those are the children of two individuals who have a very unique genetic makeup that right. could be very different from yours. So it's a great place to start. Well, this is what Blake, Blake and Ryan recommend, and we're going to try it. And if it works for your kid, awesome. If it doesn't, the first thing to do is to step back and say, well, was this an appropriate expectation for our child? Um, and that's where you know observations and sort of parents' instincts can really be helpful. And that doesn't really change as we become adults. We all talk about getting eight hours. You're going to have dementia by Memorial Day. Like, right, right, no, right. it's eight hours. If eight hours is what you need, keeping in mind that eight hours is probably the top of that bell curve. So there's a lot of people that eight hours would work for, but there's also a lot of people that seven or nine would be better for. So always trying to understand that we in Western medicine are really good at talking about averages. The average person has one right. gallbladder on the back of their liver. Right. I'm guessing there's somebody out there who was born with no gallbladder or has four of them. They're unusual, but we always want to treat the individual, but be guided by the information of the average. And, and I yeah. think sometimes we kind of miss that. No, that's an excellent point in, in that's a, a starting point, not, not the exact roadmap for every individual. Exactly, exactly. And that's the same. I mean, and I love talking. I, I talk a lot with nutritionists, dietitians, because we often interact as it relates to certain sports teams that I work with. And it's interesting because there's so many similarities. Um, but it's, but, you know, I always ask, how many times, you know, do you get called by a magazine writer and ask the question, how many calories should we, should we be eating? <laughs> 
And my guess is the answer is no, because you think, well, who are you? Are you a right. football player, a retired accountant who's 92 years old and sits around watching TV all day? Like, yeah. it matters who you are before I can answer that question. Even then, you're just kind of looking at a, you know, the average 30-year-old college student might need this, but if he's a swimmer, well, that might change everything. Yeah. So I, I think that we just, like you said, it's a great way to think about it. All this information is a starting point. My book for you as a parent is a starting point that hopefully opens up an exploration of how you can take the starting point information and focus it as a precise you know, situation for your child or children. And I think an earlier point that uh, reminds me of the book Atomic Habits is- Yeah, it's another the, angry book. The, uh, you know, it, it's redefining what success looks like. There may be that vision that you want to lose 100 pounds or sleep eight plus hours, but if you're sleeping five and a half, 545 to six might be a good goal. Yeah, absolutely. And then feel better and build that momentum because it's about longevity and lifestyle, I think. Yeah, I mean, life's hard. I mean, it's easy to squeeze sleep out of a situation for all kinds of things. I mean, I've been feeling it. Yeah, I mean, I've been feeling it lately personally, just because we finally transitioned from a paper chart in our office, which I said I would never do because I really like it, because I feel like it fosters a relationship with the patient, to an electronic medical record. Okay. So for the past few, so this is day three of that transition, and it's fine, um, but it's a lot of work. And so at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, this is the first time I've kind of sat down and had any chance to do anything just kind of relaxing or for myself and so i'm kind of like i think i will watch an episode of succession because i just want to tune it out but it's it's 11 45 and this is not going to put me in bed until 12 45 and so right. we all kind of struggle with that sleep's an easy target you know I'll, well this will just be an exception tonight and for the other days and that's where a lot of times you know technology can really be helpful in terms of helping a person be honest with themselves. But I like that idea of the atomic habit because it also recognizes the fact that your feeling is valid. Your feeling right. of wanting to stay awake is valid. And, and yes, it might be better for you to go to sleep, but you know, there's other things in our life that create happiness and fulfillment. And we need to figure out ways where we can try to balance all of those things and not create any one of those things as being an absolute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Chris, I, I appreciate your insights and, um, your time. Uh, I know oh, it's my pleasure, Scott. I, I, like I said, I appreciate your platform and, and, and you ask good questions. You, I can tell you think about this a lot. Yeah. I've, I've had <laughs> my own things to recover from and now with my own daughter, as I mentioned, but I didn't want to, uh, I meant, I saw that you started a, a new group of folks. Uh, is it unjunk your sleep? Is that right? Yes. So, um, so I, yeah, so disclosure, um, I obviously have a commercial relationship with my two books in that I wrote them and we'll get money for them if you buy them. And I appreciate everybody who buys them and really appreciate uh, feedback, you know, like on an Amazon review or something like that. And please don't feel, feel free to, 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 to not be positive. If you feel like there's criticisms there, I, I, I think the negatives and the positives are all very valuable to me. So I appreciate anybody who supports the book. I'm also employed by sleep.com, um, which basically is a subsidiary of the company Mattress Firm. So Mattress Firm actually owns the name sleep.com. Okay. So it's its own entity. So my job is not to sell you a mattress. My job is to provide sleep.com 
with really good sleep information. So when somebody says, hey, I'm really interested in restless leg syndrome or narcolepsy and your book was great, but I want even more information about it. I think that's a great place to get very scientifically vetted information in hopefully a relatively entertaining way. So I, so that's mm -hmm. sleep.com. Mattress Firm has come up with this sort of slogan of unjunk your sleep, which I love, which is sort of kind of building along the lines of junk food. You know, if somebody says I'm eating a lot, that's great. So well, at least we've gotten you out of the starvation threat but what are you putting in your body? So I think that that's kind of where sleep is now that we used to think about sleep, you know, our parents and grandparents, I'm not sure how much they even thought about it versus, you know, like working in the factory all day long or the coal mines where my family was from in West Virginia, they probably couldn't wait to get home and go to bed. I doubt as they were going down the little cart chute into the mine, they were saying, wow, I didn't sleep well, well last night. I'm not feeling it today in terms of this pickaxe and, you know, banging around for, I don't think they thought about that. It was kind of like the sun comes up, the sun goes down, we sleep. There's not much to say about either of those things. So I do think we've moved to a place where we look at sleep as a modifiable variable. Yeah. Like nutrition, like exercise. And so I think that we've kind of gone from the idea that sleep, sleep to you got to get some sleep to now maybe a more modern way of thinking about it is not all sleep is created equal. Um, and we want to try to take that sleep that we are getting and make it as good as we can, either because you're waking up a lot during the night, like your daughter. So instead of the doctor saying, well, we sometimes wake up during the night, pat her on the head and be gone. Like we don't accept that anymore. Right. Like we, we want to maximize the sleep of, of everyone. And so I like that tagline and ensure buying a better mattress can be a big part of that. Sure, but sure. You know, I can tell you from behind the curtain, the real goal of sleep.com and of mattress firm is just to get people better educated about sleep. And I'm sure in their metric, when you get better educated about it, you actually come back to purchase things like a mattress. But they honestly don't care. They just want people to get good information about sleep. In fact, they get really excited when they can provide information and somebody walks out of the store and buys nothing. So yeah, it's a really great group to be a part of. They're, they're really in it to win it. That's encouraging. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think there's some really great momentum on the topic and it sounds like some big organizations are getting behind it. So that's, I think so too. We're getting I so it because I, I mean, my professional career started out in the dot-com and that was the 180, right? It was it was Mountain Dews and potato chips and 2 a.m. Yeah. cooler talk. We're kind of getting away from that. Not that you don't do that, but mm -hmm. there was that third leg in the stool missing of rest and recovery. Yeah, it was work hard, play hard, but you didn't rest hard, recover hard. Yeah, and that's where you know that's sort of the role that I have with these athletic organizations is that we just used to let our players go home at the end of the game or the end of practice, and then we saw them again the next morning. And we were very intense about everything they did while they were with us. But then they were kind of like on their own when they went home. We didn't know what they were doing, sleeping, staying yeah. up or whatnot. And so I think they came to the conclusion that's crazy from a recovery perspective and a performance perspective that we're not paying attention to a third of their lives and making sure that's as good as it can be. So it's fun to be involved with all kinds of people and help them kind of raise the level of their rest and performance, that's which awesome. is exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to close things out with uh, three, three questions. So oh, good. I love it. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Um, I'm actually rereading. Well, I just reread Dune and my daughter and I went to see that. It was terrific. Um, I keep hearing positive things about the movie. 
Yeah, especially if you're even a casual fan. And, and you can still like the David Lynch version and like the new version, too, for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm rereading a book called At Day's Close. It's written by a, a guy named Roger Eckert. He's a professor at Virginia Tech. And I've read the book once before. And I'll raise, it's a fascinating book in terms of historical natures of sleep you know how we used to sleep in the times of antiquity yeah and i'm rereading it because when i read it the first time it probably took me a year because i would read a couple pages and just have to stop because either i was like i gotta write this down because that would be an amazing quotation for this presentation i sometimes do on insomnia yeah or i just gotta think about this like it was and he's this professor at, at virginia tech and a really cool guy if you ever have a chance to hear him lecture so that's that's what i'm rereading right now okay and it's still good it's better the second time that sounds awesome um so what are you listening to right now be it a music or podcast what i'm listening to right now musically um is uh, an artist his name is shaky graves shaky graves um, shaky graves um and he is outstanding and if you're listening i'll give you a few songs you may know um uh the song um house is haunted the haunted i think it's haunted house or the house is haunted can't remember exactly what it is but there's um let's see if i can find real quick so the songs i really like that he does here we go um built to rome um, which is an amazing song. If you can catch him singing it live, it's great. Um, Family and Genus. Um, Dearly Departed is probably his biggest hit. So you may have you may have heard that. that. That was the Haunted House song. And then Mansion Door. Okay. So get your Spotify or Apple iTunes. Mansion Door, Dearly Departed, Family and Genus, Built to Rome by Shaky Grays. And if you can catch him on tour, his performance is transformative. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I actually saw him perform out in LA. It was actually for another reason, was kind of lingering backstage to talk to somebody else. And Brad Pitt showed up. Um, so I think that he's not going to be a secret uh, artist for very long. I think he's got a very big kind of cult following. So that's okay. what I'm listening to right now. Cool. Cool. All right. Last one. What is your go-to rest and recovery method? Go to rest and recovery message method, method, method to me. So there is a device called Muse, M-U-S-E, yeah. which is a biofeedback device. So there's all kinds of interesting meditation apps out there, Calm, Headspace. They're all kind of one direction. They give you the instructions, you do it, but it's not really giving you a lot of feedback about what you're doing. So Muse is a headband that you put on that as you meditate, it's measuring what your brain is doing and it feeds that information back to you in the form of some kind of sound like rain. So when you put the device on and you sit down to meditate with it, in fact, mine is charging, it's right here. So this is the newer Muse, the older one works just fine as too. So you put it on and as I meditate, it will actually change the volume and the intensity of the sound of the rain that I'm hearing so I can control the intensity in real time. And when my session's over, it gives me a little printout of what my brain did. So it's actually helps you or helping me helps you 
train yourself to calm your mind down quickly, which is wonderful if you are somebody who likes to meditate. But when you go to bed at night, one of the biggest complaints people tell me is I can't shut my mind off. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very helpless situation to be in. This device is awesome because it's actually training you on how to do that. So you can either close your mind or settle your mind down more quickly and fall asleep. Or even if you don't, if you can be in that deeper meditative state as you're waiting to fall asleep, there's a big recovery aspect to that as well, too. And I've been using this for years. My kids actually, I brought it home one time from a, a team that I was working with. They had some extras and gave me one. I thought this could be really helpful for people who struggle to fall asleep at night. And I never messed with it, but my kids found it because they're like, what did you bring us from going to see that team? I brought them nothing like here, here's a headband. You can, it's a video game. And so they figured it out and was great to watch like an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old compete to see who could be the quietest. And, and, and so you get a score. So it does turn like it into this kind of weird yeah. brain, yeah, relaxation video game. And it's interesting because my, my older son over the years kept using it and he's a swimmer. He actually swims at Navy and he would use it before swim meets. He just put it on and sit there in the crowd and parents are screaming things or kids could never hear underwater, but he would use it just to kind of focus right before the meet, which I always thought was interesting, but it's a fun tool. If you buy one, the whole family can use it. Okay. And it's really interesting to see not only who's good at it and who's not so great at it, but I don't think I've ever given it to somebody and them not immediately start to improve. Like it's really cool to see people start to learn what's right for them in terms of how to settle their own mind down. And so it really gives you a sense of confidence when you go to bed that you can, or take a nap or a rest or whatever you want to call it. That yeah. You can get into that deeper state very quickly. Well, that really is great underpinning to some of the comments you've talked about around things being arranged and being able to personalize and understand yourself better to, to know what does work for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that most people, and I'm not sure how Muse would feel about this, but most people, after you've used it for a while, it's kind of, to me, almost like meditation training wheels. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people who like to get that feedback every time, but I'm really good at it now. And so when I go to bed, I know exactly what I need to do to sort of shut it down and get into that deeper state because it's trained me over the years, even though I still pull it out and, and use it all the time, just because yeah. I like to see the, the data and whatnot and practice different things. Like if I do different breathing exercises, can, is it even better than what I've you know typically used to doing? So yeah. it's a really cool thing to play around with. Awesome. Well, Chris, again, thank you so much for the time, your expertise. Hey, my pleasure. You bet. Enjoyed the book. Uh, so far I'm about halfway through. So Thank you. Oh, oh, the ending is, you'll never see the ending coming. <laughs> a rested night's sleep. Uh, That's right. All right, Chris. Thanks a lot. Take care.